All right, we are absolutely honored to have on board the BradCooney.com podcast, Hollywood actor, director, screenwriter, Ted Lange. Ted, thanks so much for joining us. My, my problem, my pleasure, my being here. Man, we're What does all of that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking to talk to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, definitely, we're honored to have you on board, man. I've um, been a big fan of yours for many, many years. Um, you know what? I, I want to go back a little bit. Let's talk about the, the early days. Um, I was reading through your bio and I did some research, and um, I didn't realize you were in the musical um, Hair, uh, which is a biggie. Can you, can you give us your thoughts on how that all happened and kind of talk us through that a little uh, bit? Yeah, I was, uh, I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. I needed a job. I was in Los Angeles. And uh, one of the, in Los Angeles, uh, you know, you go around, you try to get uh, TV or film interviews, and the one thing that you could get that was really easy was a stage interview mm. for hair. So I got a couple of songs together, went down and auditioned, and I must have auditioned about five times, and never got chosen, and uh, on the sixth time, they... Um, they needed some actors that could travel, and most actors did not want to leave Los Angeles. But I needed money so bad I'd go wherever the job was. Hmm. So when they said, could you travel, I said, absolutely. And I left and went to Vegas and, and got into the first uh, road tour of Hair and ended up uh, a year later in New York on Broadway doing, doing the musical Hair. Wow, so that's a pretty big... Pretty big move, pretty uh, a good call on your part, I'm guessing, to do that Vegas trip. Well, it was actually bad. It was the only call because I didn't have no nobody was knocking on my door. You know, these <laughs> are the only guys knocking on my door. So, you know, you roll with what you got, and that's yeah. what I did. And it turned out to be uh, very fortuitous in a lot of ways. Right now, when you were back in high school and school. Were you part of like the drama team? Were you into theater and things like that at an earlier age? Oh yeah, yeah. I was the head of the Thespian Society in high school. I was the president of the Thespians, and uh, I also, uh, you know, I did all the high school plays. Worked my way up from when I was a sophomore to a senior. You know, doing bit parts and plays, and then eventually, by the time I got to be a senior, I was doing the leads. Nice. All right, so let's talk about Love Boat. Of course, that was the, the, the huge. It's a huge TV show back in the '70s and '80s. Uh, I watched every episode. I'm sure it ran from '77 to '86. I had a nice run. Um, you, of course, played Isaac. Um, talk about how that role. You know how how that, how that all happened. Well, actually, uh, it was on ABC TV, and I had done a show for ABC called "That's My Mama" mm -hmm. previously. And then I auditioned for a pilot that turned into a C, uh, TV series for ABC called Mr. T and Tina with Pat Morita. Mm. And this was before the Karate Kid. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that show didn't last very long, but uh, my appearance on that show, coupled with my appearance on That's My Mama, helped solidify for the network that I was a pretty strong comedic actor. So when Lobo came up next, they just had me interview with the executive producer. Uh, the executive producer liked, liked me and we interviewed. So he said, uh, do you get seasick? I said, no. So he said, okay, and that was it. That's how I was hired. 
Wow. Now, did they already have... Go ahead, Ted. Finish your thought. There was no audition. There was no reading of the part or anything. And at that point, Isaac was really a minor character in the show. Even though he was a regular, he was a minor character. So they were more concerned about who was going to be the captain and who was going to be the doctor and who was going to be the cruise director. So I was lucky in that regard. So a couple of things came together that were very fortuitous for me. Wow. And Isaac turned out to be one of the more recognized you know, characters on the show. Yeah, I was very lucky in that the writers started writing for me and I delivered the, what we call, I delivered the goods as far mm -hmm. as comedically being able to do what they needed. And uh, the more you succeed, then the more they fed you for uh, more success, actually. Right, right. Now, were you surprised at all by just how successful the TV show Love Boat became? Well, you know, Gavin McCloud and Bernie Capel were, were both very uh, sure of the success, and Fred Grandy and myself were not. Mm. Uh, so it was very interesting. You never know what the public is going to cling to, uh, particularly we were young, and they had been around a long time, so they, they kind of knew the ropes. So this, for whatever reason, they could see the things in the show that would attract the audience, and Fred and I didn't. So we were, uh, of course, very pleased to be proven wrong about <laughs> you know what we thought it was going to be. And of course, Gavin and uh, Bernie knew all along. They saw the commerciality and the potential for it. Sure. So once Love Boat took off and it was in its prime, um... Was can you remember the, the 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 time where you said, "Wow, I think I made it. I think I actually made this, you know, dream come true." Well, you know, uh, you struggle for a long time, and then uh, you're always afraid of being fired on a job. Mm. You know, and one day I realized that they weren't going to fire me. Hmm. And that's really, uh, it's not that I realized that I was a star or that, you know, uh, that uh, I got a lot of recognition or I made a lot of money. What I realized is that I was a part of the whole. And as a part of the whole, I was intricate to the show. And unless I made some real big faux pas, they weren't going to fire me. Right. And that manifested itself one day on the set where I, I got the giggles and I just started laughing and I laughed all day long because I realized I had gotten to a point in my career where I could actually know that the next day I would have to show up for work. And that was, that was just a fun thing for me. That's big. That's, that's important for anybody, you know? Yeah, well, you know, you you work all your life to get to get a steady gig sometimes, or or to get a good part, and then when you get it, uh, you don't realize how you're going to react to that kind of success. And I I reacted by laughing. That's great, and you had and you had that million dollar smile, man. I mean, that was everybody remembers Isaac by the smile too. Yeah, well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. All right, so you, you mentioned Gavin uh, McLeod a minute ago, and, I, and, I, and in my research for this interview, um, you guys are good friends, huh? You guys really, really been friends for a long time. Oh, yeah, well, since the show. I mean, uh, all of us, though. I mean, Gavin and Bernie and 
and Tweez and uh, Joe, we're, we're, we still remain friends to this day. So, yeah, it, the, the thing about Love Boat is it created a family. And even after the show was gone, we still are a family and we still look out for each other. That's good stuff. Now, do you remember the, the, the day you got the call that, the, the, that they weren't going to extend the show another season? Well, we all felt it coming, you know, we all, and I'll tell you how we knew it was coming was, they have a thing called craft service, and craft service is a table that they set up for people during the between shots to get something to eat. You know, in the morning it'll be donuts, in the afternoon it'll be sandwiches, and then it'll, you know what I'm saying? Yep. They set up a food table. Well, at the top, at the start of the show, you would have all of these kind of expensive foods and mm -hmm. different kind of things, to a variety of things to eat. The last couple of weeks, they had cheese whiz and crackers. <laughs> oh, boy. We knew the show was over. They didn't have to tell us. <laughs> they did not have to tell us, hey, I think the show's going to be over. We could tell by the craft service table that wow. the was coming to an end. Well, yeah, I guess the budget dried up, man. I mean... Yeah, the thing, yeah, they weren't, they weren't a lot for anything. Right, if wow. If you wanted to you better bring it in from home. <laughs> now, Ted, you also directed some of the uh, some of the shows of Love Boat, huh? Who directed them? I, no, I, no, in my research, I, I found that you, you, you directed a couple, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Talk about that. Here, uh, they let me direct shows and... It was great because I got to um, sit and talk to our directors and I said, well, you know, if I did it this way, what do you think? And they would tell me with their thoughts on it. So that by the time I got my chance, I was I was ready to direct. I, I did my homework. Good stuff. All right, so you also in the screenwriting, you've penned a lot of plays over the years. Um, one of them I read was George Washington's Boy. Um, sh share share some of those experiences, if you don't mind, about your, your screenwriting. Well, what happened was when I, I was a student at the American Film Institute, and I studied directing there, and I studied uh, screenwriting there. And then when I got on the Love Boat, uh, I was able to put those things in practice. So I wrote a couple of episodes of the Love Boat, and that, they gave me the basic rules and guidelines for writing uh, our show. And then I took that knowledge of that and I then implemented it into my playwriting. Mm. So I took the lessons of writing for television and focused it on playwriting. Now, I wrote a play called George Washington's Boy, that, but I had written about all oh, about 19, 18 or 19 plays before then. George Washington's boy was more of a historical um, endeavor on uh, Washington and his relationship with his slave, William Lee. Right. And I stumbled upon that by accident. I was reading a book by Joseph Ellis called His Excellency George Washington, and in it, he talked about George's uh, relationship but in a passing way, he talked about George's relationship with William Lee. So I said, well, this is interesting. Let me see if I can find out some more stuff about these two guys. Sure. And, and when I did the research and the homework on it, I realized this is a story that is very seldom told. And it's a fascinating 
character study because at the end of his life, George Washington, who was not uh, for freeing the slaves, in the end, he ended up freeing all of his slaves and giving uh, William Lee immediate freedom. In other words, he freed his slaves after Martha would pass, but before Martha passed, he freed William Lee and set him up with a pension hmm. and a place to stay and a you know, and made sure that he was uh, taken care of for the rest of his life. Well, that's a big switch from what the other forefathers of our country did. So I found that fascinating. I said, what went on between these two guys that Washington felt the need to not only free him, but give him a pension and a place to stay? Wow. And, and that's what my play is about. My play is about their relationship uh, during the American Revolution and during the presidency. So interesting. Now, have you ever thought about putting, putting that to a book? Writing a book about it? Uh, no. Uh, it's a play, and I published the play. You can go on uh, Trafford Publishing, uh, and you can get a copy of the play, but I'm a playwright. I'm not yeah. really a novel guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't write novels. I write uh, plays. So, if you want to the play or read the play, you can go to Trafford Publishing and, and, and you can acquire a copy of it. I would love to do that. I, but, uh, you know, I try to stick with what I know and sure. what I know how to do best, and that's what I know how to do best. Absolutely. I know I'm going to do that, too. Um, now, let's um, let's talk about some of your current projects. I know recently we had Christy Farris on the podcast show, and wow, does she ever, does she ever look up to you? She spoke so highly of you. Um, well, she's She's a wonderful actress, and I, I'm just in love with her. I think she's a great talent. Yeah, I do too. We've done a number of, we've done a number of plays together, and there's nobody better than her, I'm telling you. Yeah, she's great. I've seen a lot of her work on TV, and um, just just a, like you said, she's a fantastic actor. Now, talk about the project you just had with her in Virginia, the, the play out there. Well, uh, again, it's a historical play. I found it by accident. And it's a story of a black slave girl named uh, Mary Bowser who could read and write, and she was placed in Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, yep. she was placed in his house, and she was a Union spy. Oh, wow. What she was doing was she was spying on Jefferson and giving the information to the Union, uh, the Union lines, to um, Lincoln. Mm hmm and uh, Ulysses S. Grant. And so I wrote a play about this, uh, about her life, and her contact was a woman named Elizabeth Van Lu. So uh, it's a very fascinating story. We, we then went to Richmond, most recently, Christy and I and the rest of the cast, we went to Richmond, which of course is where the uh, yeah. Confederate White House was. And we did the play, and, you know, there's still a lot of strong feelings about the South. But the play was written in such a way that I did not denigrate any of the Southern heroes. Mm. What I did was I tried to tell as accurately as possible the history of the South and what was going on during the Civil War. So uh, a wonderful reception came when... Uh, the audience, both black and white, gave, gave the play a standing ovation. Oh, wow. It's called Lady, Lady 
Patriot, and again, you can find that on Trafford Publishing. But it's a, it, it, there's a lot of stuff, what I tell people, there's a lot of stuff we didn't know that went on that you'll, you'll discover when you see the play or when you read the play. Sounds so awesome, man. I can't wait. I can't wait to see this one now, too. Um, all right. Thank you. Ted, I know you're a busy guy, so we'll wrap this up in just a second. Before I let you go, though, share some advice, if you would. Share some advice for some young actors, because when I told all my Twitter and Facebook followers, and there's thousands of them, when I told them I was going to have you on the podcast, a lot of, uh, you know, I have quite a few act that are actually in Hollywood that are trying to, trying to, you know, make, make it into acting. Some are getting, you know, some do smaller parts, some have a little more success than others, but all of them asked me, get Mr. Lanz to give us some advice on what we can do to try to help us succeed in Hollywood. What is some advice you could share? Well, the, the most important thing is perseverance, not to give up. Mm. No matter what, don't give up. The next thing is to do a play or to act in a small movie or a big movie or a little movie or act. The most important thing is to be a, a, a acting because you are an actor, so you should act. Now, what does that mean, acting? It means... You gotta at least do three things when you show up to do a part. You have to be on time, you have to know your lines, and you have to hit your marks. Mm. So that means you do the preparation, you get to work before uh, you're actually supposed to be there, whether it's 10 minutes or half an hour. You know what the part is and you do homework or you ask questions of the director or the playwright or the screenwriter or the, or the film director. And you do your best. So. You know, you'll see a lot of actors behaving badly. Whatever you do is your reputation. Mm. So the more you do your homework, the more you uh, give off a persona of someone that's easy to work with or someone that you want to work with, the more you're going to have a career. If you if you start to become temperamental and you know and you, you have fits of anger and stuff like that, that's part of your reputation. And there's some people that it doesn't bother, but there are a large majority of people that don't care to have that kind of energy around them. So the idea is that when you work with someone, you want to leave on good terms and you want them to be able to call you again to work with you again. So. Always act. If someone asks you to be in a play, be in a play. If someone asks you to do a bit part in a movie, do a bit part in a movie. You don't know where it's going to take you because the next time it may be the lead. Yeah, exactly. And you, yeah. yeah, perseverance. It's the most important thing, perseverance. That's great stuff. All right, man. Last that last thing. Let's. Um, do you have anything that you wanted to you wanted to plug before I let you go? Any upcoming projects? Uh, well, I did a movie with Chrissy called Step the Face. And that should be coming out in August. And um, I, I'm going to be on Oprah Winfrey Sunday night, this Sunday. Um, and this is going to be at 9 o'clock on the OWN station. And it's just kind of an interview. Yep. But it's fun. We had a lot of fun. They reunited uh, Jill Whelan and my myself and Lauren Tweed. Oh, great. And we just had a really good time. So, you know, look for those things. And Marin, there's a TV show on Fox called Marin. Uh, and that's a stand-up comedian. And he is very good. We had a good time. And I had a good time doing his show. Good stuff, man. What about Facebook and Twitter? Do you have one of those that you want want the fans to come see you? Well, no, I don't have. I mean, I have a Facebook account. 
account, but I don't Twitter. Okay. Because some things I just don't want the fans to know. <laughs> That's fair enough. Ted, thank you so much for doing this interview. Really, 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 really appreciate your time. I enjoyed it. Um, and we, we hope to have you back soon.